Hi, writers. Welcome to our new episode on the craft of writing fiction. This is Jim Thayer. Patty and I spent the last week in Mexico. I could eat Mexican food every day and where better than in Mazatlan. I gather Jack the cat missed me as he has been stuck to me like a barnacle since I returned. I'd like to mention a good tool for us writers. When we are plotting and writing our novels, consider creating a timeline of events in the novel. A timeline on real paper, not just something in your computer. Such a timeline is remarkably useful in in keeping things straight in our minds as we're plotting the novel and then later as we write it. Each time I come up with a potential idea for a plot point, I add it to the timeline. I leave room on the timeline timeline on the left uh, for events that happened before the story began, that is, backstory, and I leave some room on the right of the line for events that will happen or may happen to the characters after the story is over, things in the future I may have alluded to in the story. I use this timeline before I begin writing the novel to chart the plot. And then as I write the novel and come up with new angles, I continue to add to the chart. Sometimes I erase things that I figure out won't work. Uh, Keeping plot points straight uh, is a common problem for fiction writers, uh, keeping things sorted out. The thriller writer Robert Farino has a whiteboard on which he places post-it notes, moving them around when he needs to. Many writers, though, use a paper timeline, one they create. Uh, Maybe there's a way to do this sort of planning with a computer program. People who build buildings, uh, engineers, architects, and contractors have commercial computer programs that generate timelines of when certain things have to happen so that later things can happen and when certain materials and certain craftsmen have to arrive on the site and when certain permits must be obtained and inspections done and so forth. They're called flowcharts. Are they? I don't know. That doesn't sound right. Event trees, maybe. It's too complicated for me. I don't want to learn a new program. You might consider making a big chart. Maybe Tape several pages of typing paper together, or or even better, go to an arts and crafts store and buy a piece of display board or specialized long paper, and maybe some colored pencils. Here's how you might create your timeline. On your paper near the bottom, draw a horizontal line left to right. Time is what the line represents, with events at the beginning of the story on our left Uh, As I mentioned, leaving farther on the left uh, some space for parts of the history that occurred before the novel began. And put a line or a mark on the line when the story begins and label it something like this. Novel begins. Jake learns of the bequest April 10, 2024. Then chart more events and actions to the right on the line as the story progresses. 
Uh, consider investing a bit of time in this project because it'll pay off. Uh, maybe use different colored pencils for each character and each location. It'll take some experimenting before you come up with the kind of chart that that works for you. I clearly remember wadding up my first try on my first timeline as I figured out what I'd like. And you can add to your timeline anything you want, anything that might be useful. Uh, and you can make it fun to look at and fun to add to. You can buy shiny stars to stick on it at critical plot junctures or, or mini mustaches representing the villain. Anything you want and, and have some fun doing so. Writing can be hard sometimes uh, and sometimes it's frustrating. And we authors should make it fun when we can and we can have some fun with this timeline. And while our novel is inside our computers, e existing in the mysterious digital realm of bytes and X's and O's, our paper chart uh, will be physical, something to touch, a, a physical proof of, of work accomplished and planned. It'll give the novel a nice corporal form. Uh, this sounds like a a preschool project with colored pencils and big paper, but many, many fiction writers use something like this. this. These homemade time charts are widely used tools of the trade. But here's a caution about using a timeline. Just because our timeline might be on several pieces of paper or a piece of construction paper or butcher paper doesn't mean our novel needs to encompass a lot of time. Most successful novels take place over a couple of days or weeks. Multi-generational family sagas are exceptions, of course, as are some other novels. But a novel is usually about a critical moment in the protagonist's life. Uh, critical moments don't run on, run on for months. They're moments. So we writers should build up to that moment in our story, have the climax in a short walk away, and we should keep time under control. Uh, keeping it time tight is a strong plotting device. Uh, it avoids a wandering plot. But even so, if our novel takes place over a short time, a, f a physical timeline on paper uh, filled with color will probably be useful. A novel is, a com is complex with many characters and settings and actions, many different plot lines. Even if our novel takes place over a short time, a, a timeline, a physical timeline on paper might help keep things straight. Uh, it'll prevent omissions and inconsistencies, and uh, it'll immediately square us away regarding the novel's time frame. We have spoken about point of view earlier. Point of view is which character is viewing the events through whose eyes is the reader seeing events. That's the point of view. There's another consideration. From what distance is the reader seeing events? Is the reader up close or farther away or really far away? Authorial distance is a term of art in writing fiction. It's the degree to which readers feel close to the characters and the setting in a story. 
or on the other hand, the degree to which readers feel some distance from what's going on. Uh, They feel detachment from the events in the story. John Gardner articulated this concept of authorial distance in his book, The Art of Fiction. Authorial distance addresses how close or far the narrative consciousness is from the action of the story. Those are John Gardner's words. How close or far the narrative consciousness is from the action of the story. By the way, John Gardner's book, The Art of Fiction, written some years ago, is still a standard text for writers. It's a terrific resource. I own a copy, and I'm glad I do. Uh, Back to authorial distance. The author, Nancy Cress, likens the degrees of authorial distance to a camera. The closer the camera, the greater the focus on the, on the main character in the scene. The farther away, the more focused the writing becomes on the big pictures. Uh, sometimes the camera is up close, and sometimes it's farther away, and sometimes it's far away. If we want the reader to feel intimately related to our subject, we should try a close-up shot. Uh, we describe the character uh, or the object uh, or the scene as if uh, it were positioned directly in front of our eyes. We let the reader see the etchings on the bowl, the subtle flames on the hood of the hot rod, the, the blisters on the farmer's hands. We can even get closer by taking the reader inside a character's body, letting the reader experience Uh, uh, dizziness or nausea. Or we can establish distance to remove the reader from the scene. Uh, We describe our character or objects in the scene from a great distance. Uh, Nancy Crest points out that physical closeness often goes with emotional closeness, emotional closeness between the reader and the character. If we sense our story calls for a closer, more sympathetic attitude toward the subjects or the characters, we should try to position ourselves as the writer closer to them. Uh, Characters the reader is to sympathize with, usually the protagonist, and uh, characters the reader is to like, probably should be presented in a closer manner. Minor characters and villains often can be presented with greater distance. Authorial distance can change in a novel scene to scene. Uh, In one scene it can be close and the next one it can be distance, uh, in the distance or somewhere in the middle. Uh, Changing authorial distance changes the texture, the feel of a scene. In The Art of Fiction, John Gardner illustrates authorial distance, ranges, and these are John Gardner's five possible openings for a story. Listen to how uh, how close we are and how far we are, first far away from the story. Here's the first lines of the story. It was winter of the year 1853. A large man stepped out of a doorway. Uh, In this sentence, the reader seems far away from the man. Here's a a second version from John Gardner. Same opening, or a different opening to the same story. Henry J. Warburton 
had never much cared for snowstorms. Here, the reader's closer. He's, the, the character has a name. Here's a third opening to the same story. Henry hated snowstorms. Here, the reader's closer still. Here's the fourth opening. God, how he hated damn snowstorms. Here, the reader's yet closer. And here's the last one. Uh, opening The opening lines of the same story. Listen to how close the reader is to this character. Snow, under your collar, down inside your shoes, freezing and plugging up your miserable soul. Here the reader is almost inside the character, as close as the reader can get. The, The first of these five openings from John Gardner begins at a great distance from the reader. It was the year of 1853, a large man stepped out of a doorway. Let's take a quick break. Hey guys, this your girl Lira, and you're listening to Self-Reflection Podcast. Thank you guys for joining me on another episode of Self-Reflection Podcast. I hope this podcast episode finds you in the best possible state that you can be in for yourself today. Um, You know, and if you're not doing your best, I hope, you know, you find some time to care for your mental health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, and your psychological health. You know, I hope you find some time to do some self-reflection. Just gather yourself and, you know, find the best possible way you can deal with what you're dealing with in this moment, right? Choosing and controlling authorial distance that best suits the scene is, is, uh, can be a difficult skill, um, to incre- increase the distance between the reader and the character, we writers should use abstract nouns, summary, apparent objectivity. Here are some examples of authorial distance showing how good authors can control it. Here is Margaret Atwood in her novel Simmering. Notice uh This is uh, three or four sentences. Notice how the camera seems far away from the action. This is Margaret Atwood. It started in the backyards. At first, the men concentrated on heat and smoke and on dangerous thrusts with long forks. Their wives gave them aprons in railroad stripes with slogans on the front, hot stuff, the boss, to spur them on. Then it began to get mixed up who should do the dishes, and you can't fall back on paper plates forever, and around that time the wives got tired of making butterscotch brownies and jello salads with grated carrots in them, and wanted to make money instead, and one thing led to another. That's Margaret Atwood. Notice in these sentences, nobody's named, nobody's described, Uh, the reader isn't even sure of the exact setting. It could be in any of their backyards. There's no dialogue. Uh, None of the people at the barbecue is identified uh, as having thought the interior monologue. You can't fall back on paper plates forever. The thinker isn't identified. This is a summary with, with quite a lot of time covered quickly. The reader doesn't feel as if... uh, 
he or she is close to the action. To get the reader closer, we can use concrete details and we can visit a character's thoughts. Here is Alice Walker in her novel Rose Lily. And listen to the difference between Alice Walker's prose here and Margaret Atwood's earlier. Here's Alice Walker. She dreams she does not already have three children. A squeeze around the flowers in her hands chokes off three and four and five years of breath. Instantly, she is ashamed and frightened in her superstition. She looks for the first time at the preacher, forces humility into her eyes as if she believes he is, in fact, a man of God. She can imagine God, a small black boy timidly pulling the preacher's coattails. Here, in this from Alice Walker, we, f- we the reader, f- feel her hand squeeze flowers, choking off the breath of her children. We see her eyes where she's forcing humility into them. We hear her think she can imagine God. We're much closer to her than we are to anyone at, the, at uh, Margaret Atwood's barbecue scene we read earlier. I want to add, authorial distance isn't something that I think too much about as I write, and you may be like me. For me, and I think for many writers, the best authorial distance for a scene comes naturally to us, a scene that would be best as having a close perspective, say a romantic scene. We automatically write uh, it with a close perspective, with, with the camera close without thinking of the concept of authorial distance. A good authorial distance just comes to us as we plot the scene and then write it. I don't think often of the concept of authorial distance because I have a governor on my writing that sets the distance automatically. You may be like that too. But authorial distance is a strong technique to be aware of And perhaps there will be times in our writing when, for the strongest effect, we think about it and adjust our writing. We'll think, let's get the camera close for for the strongest personal effect. Uh, Say we are writing a horror scene, and we, we think, the writer thinks, I want to get the reader up close, focusing on her face with the background of the setting not clear or specific, because I want the reader, I want the background to be unknown and scary and not specific and clear. I'll I'll rivet the reader on my protagonist up close. That's the use of the concept of authorial distance, and it's a skillful use of a solid technique. My new novel, Fagin and... Miss Havisham, has been released and is available at Amazon. The novel takes place in London in the 1820s, and its characters are Charles Dickens's famous characters from many of his novels. Fagin and Bill Sykes from Oliver Twist, Miss Havisham from Great Expectations, Murdstone from David Copperfield, and many others. They are younger than in Dickens's novels, and I toss them together to see what happens. The publisher is Creative Texts, 
an independent publisher and a good one, and I'm delighted. I had huge fun researching and writing the novel. I tried to take readers back to London 200 years ago, and I hope you'll consider getting a print or ebook copy. You'll be able to see whether I can actually do the writing techniques we talk about in these episodes. The title again is Fagin and Miss Havisham. Thank you. I would like to mention ways in which we writers can avoid weak writing. There's an infinite number of ways writing can be weak or clumsy or awkward or ungrammatical or confusing. The novelist Phyllis Naylor, author of the novel Dangerously Alice and many other novels, says this. This is Phyllis Naylor. Possibly you were tired and lapsed into cliches without realizing it, or you used trite or hackneyed situations and phrases. Maybe you changed viewpoint, and instead of looking outward from your character's eyes, you find that you were writing about him instead. Did you use stilted dialogue or pet words that jar, or include a particular word too many times on a page? Use too many adjectives or adverbs or overused dialect? Your writing might have fallen flat because it is grammatically too correct. Your English so precise that it doesn't bend at all and your characters seem stiff. Perhaps the speech idiom of your protagonist does not match his thought idiom. Your transitions might be jerky. That's uh, novelist Phyllis Naylor talking about what happens if uh, we, can, we write when we're tired. It can get clumsy and awkward. I, I like lists, and maybe you do too. They present things in an orderly fashion. Jack Hodgins is a novelist and a teacher of fiction writing at the University of Victoria. He's the author of The Resurrection of Joseph Bourne. He offers a good list of things to ask ourselves about how to write, how, how a passage of writing might be improved. Uh, Jack Hodgins says, 10 questions to ask about our prose passages. This is from, these 10 are from Jack Hodgins. One, have you chosen specific and concrete words throughout, aware of their sounds and rhythms and connotations as well as all their dictionary meanings? Two, have you chosen words that are honest, that is, specific, direct, unadorned, plain? Three, have you used only words necessary for the effect you want? Four, have you chosen language that appeals to more than just one or two of the five senses? Five, have you chosen energy words, in particular verbs that move the prose? Six, have you varied the lengths and patterns of sentences, experimenting with the effects of following long sentences with a short sentence, or following short sentences with a long sentence? 7. Have you used comparison, contrast, metaphor, or analogy to sharpen meaning? 8. Have you changed rhythm and cadence? 9. 
Have you considered sound or color or choice of details to achieve tone? And the last one, 10, have you remained aware of the point of view? Those are 10 good questions from the novelist Jack Hodgins. We have come to the end of this episode, and I'm glad you were along for it. Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys. <laughs>